Good morning, Christ Central Church. Thank you, Daniel, for that prayer. And uh, as Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Privileged to be with you this morning to bring God's word to us. As Daniel said, we're in the third part of our Become Sermon series. This week we're going to be looking at the third aspect of our mission, cultural renewal, uh, which we define as the integration of our faith into our vocation, our recreation, and our creations. And this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Esther. And I've been spending some time these past couple weeks wondering what have I done to so upset Pastor Daniel that he would ask me to preach out of the book of Esther. I mean, this is the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not even mentioned. How do you preach on that? The good news for me, though, this is likely the first and last sermon you will ever hear on this book, so the bar is very low. Now, before we begin, I need to give us a little bit of context here on what this book is about and when it was written and for what purpose. Daniel preached the past two weeks on Ezra and Nehemiah, which were told from the perspective of the people of God who had escaped from exile and gone back to Jerusalem. The book of Esther is told from a very different perspective. Same time frame, but these the people of God who are still in exile, who have remained in Persia, still under Persian rule. Highly recommend that you spend some time this week reading through the book of Esther. Short book, it's quite the page turner. Uh, there's also a, a really well-done VeggieTales episode on this book, if that's how you like to get your Bible. Uh, either way, I'd recommend that you dig in a little bit more. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you a very brief summary of what has happened in this story up until our text, where we're going to be diving in. So here goes. Really, four characters that you need to keep in your mind, four main characters in this story. Two Jews, Mordecai and his niece, Esther. Then there's the king, King Assyrius. Uh, he's the king of the Persian Empire. And then lastly, the villain of the story, the Persian official Haman. The story begins with the king throwing these elaborate feasts. And the purpose of the feast is to show off, to show everyone how wonderful and how awesome he is. And on the last day of the second feast, the king demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear before all his guests so that he can show off her amazing beauty. And here comes the first wrinkle in our story, Queen Vashti refuses. Uh, she is uh, not willing to play this game. No doubt a bold move by the queen, uh, but it doesn't work out very well for her. Uh, the king immediately removes her from office. Uh, and then in another grotesque display of the king's power, he decides to hold a beauty pageant in order to select his new queen. And here enters the hero of the story, a Jewish girl named Esther. And Esther enters the beauty pageant. She conceals her Jewishness because that would have disqualified her. And believe it or not, she wins. And she is crowned the new queen of Persia. Now I'm skipping a lot here, uh, but the next scene that you need to pay attention to has to do with Haman. Again, Haman is the Persian official. He is actually number two in command of the Persian Empire. Uh, Haman is clearly a deeply insecure man. Uh, and he decides to make a law that everyone in the kingdom should bow down to him. 
And this is where the story gets a little dicey uh, because Mordecai, the uncle of Queen Esther, refuses to bow down. And Haman is enraged by this. This is absolutely out of line. And he decides that Mordecai must pay for his actions. So when Haman discovers that Mordecai is a Jew, he decides the way to get back at Mordecai. Again, this is a little grandiose, but he is going to convince the king to kill all the Jews that are left in Persia. And unfortunately for Mordecai, the king agrees. So the king decrees that in 11 months, all the Jews are to be slaughtered. And that's where we're entering in to our story. Here in chapter 4, Mordecai has come up with a plan for how to potentially save uh, the Jewish people, but there's a problem with this plan that you'll hear about in our text. And so I want to invite you now, as is our custom, as we dive into this dialogue between Mordecai and Esther, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. I'm actually going to read a few extra verses than you have uh, in your text, but I think you'll be able to follow along pretty easily. So we're in Esther chapter 4. So we're going to start in verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hattok and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's promise know that if any man or any woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, Father, excuse me, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had Prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. We believe that your word is essential for life, for faith. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through this text, through your word, that you would Allow me, your servant, to get out of the way so that your truth might be communicated to our hearts, to our minds, and applied to our lives. Would you, God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Not long ago, I was staying in a hotel down in Miami, and immediately upon arriving at this hotel, I felt out of place. The reason why I felt out of place is because everyone in the hotel looked exactly the same except for me. Every single guest fit this description. They were all men. They were all dressed in these beautifully tailored fancy suits. 
They all had some sort of facial hair. And last but not least, they were all wearing little round hats on the tops of their heads, known as either a kippah or a yarmulke. See, the hotel was full of Jewish men. And my first thought was there must be some sort of religious convention or conference going on at this hotel that has motivated all these Jewish men to gather. But after a little more probing, I learned that the conference that these men were attending was not about Judaism, but rather about real estate. You see, all of these men were real estate agents, Jewish real estate agents, which kind of baffled me at first. Why not just gather with real estate agents from all faiths, or or maybe even no faith at all? What does a man's faith have to do with the way they sell houses. Church, the vision of Christ Central Church, the reason why we exist, is for the glory of God and the good of Durham. And we believe that the biblically informed way to accomplish this vision is through cultivating spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. This morning, we're going to be looking at what it means to pursue cultural Renewal, as I've already said, the integration of our faith into our vocations, recreations, and creations. Meaning that here at Christ Central, not too dissimilar to the way that the faith of those real estate agents informed the way they sell their houses, we believe that our whole lives, not just Sunday morning, is to be informed by our faith in God. That's when cultural renewal happens, when our faith bleeds into every area of our life. And the reason we come now to the book of Esther is because Esther is this beautiful picture of a whole life that is informed by her relationship with God. And what you'll soon see as we look at both the lives of Esther and Mordecai is that cultural renewal happens This integration of faith and life happens when the people of God have faith and pursue faithfulness. When we have faith and pursue faithfulness. So let's look together at these two aspects of cultural renewal in the context of Esther. As the wise prophet Limp Biscuit once said, you've got to have faith. But what exactly is faith? I find the definition that's in the Heidelberg Catechism to be helpful. It says that faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. See, faith is to have a perspective on life that is God-informed. It is to embrace a worldview that is rooted not in what we think or what we feel, but rather in the word of God. Now, wait a minute. You've already acknowledged, Pastor, that the book of Esther doesn't even mention the name of God. How then does this book that never even mentions God's name encourage us to have faith in this God? Look again at our text in verse 14. Remember the context. Mordecai is encouraging his niece to go before the king even though she hasn't been summoned. And as the text showed this will likely result in her being put to death and so she's not real happy about this plan but this is Mordecai's argument verse 14 his coercion if you will he says 
For if you keep silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. What a bizarre statement, right? I mean, he just asked his niece to do something extremely dangerous that, that might cost her her life. One would assume that he wouldn't ask such a thing unless there was no other option. And yet he then follows that proposal with this little bit of craziness. He says, if you keep silent, Esther, if you don't do what I've asked, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Now the first question we must ask is, on what basis can Mordecai make such a ridiculous claim? How does he know that deliverance is going to come no matter what? And don't, don't miss this, church. The only explanation is that Mordecai is well aware of the promises that God has already made to his people. Promises like the one that God made to Noah and his descendants after the flood, saying that never again will all flesh be cut off. Promises like the one that God made with Abram, that he would make Abram's offspring as numerous as the stars in heaven. See, Mordecai knew and believed these promises, and because of that, he was able to declare to Esther, even if you remain silent, I know my God will deliver us just the same. Mordecai had faith, and it was his faith that compelled himself to orient his life around what God had said and not around the ever-changing circumstances that are constantly shifting and moving around us. I think we need to go to school on some Mordecai, because what Mordecai is saying is really the essence of what it is to be a Christian to believe that in spite of my circumstances that I am confident that deliverance will arise from another place or maybe said more plainly, to have faith is to know that God will deliver me no matter what. To think that some people believe that Jesus is nowhere to be found in the Old Testament, does not this text shout his name? You see, like Mordecai, to have faith for us is to know that although we cannot save ourselves, God has promised relief and deliverance for you. Look closely at what Mordecai says. He says that relief and deliverance will rise up. If only I had a singing voice up from the grave, he arose. Mordecai is looking forward to Christ rising from the dead, and it's through Christ's resurrection that our deliverance is found. To be a Christian is put our faith and hope in that moment when Christ rose from the dead. The question is, is that what really orients your life? Is that what your life is rooted in? As our story reveals, it's moments of crisis that really reveal what it is that orients our life. And 2020 has been one ongoing crisis, right? When we look back, it's been crisis after crisis after crisis, and it causes us to, to ask the question, what has it that has been orienting our lives in these despairing times? Mordecai shows us what it looks like to walk by faith 
in a moment of crisis, we have to raise our eyes from the tornado that is swirling around us and cling to what God has promised to be true in his word. He promises deliverance for his people. When we do that, church, the trajectory of our lives changes. The story of our life becomes rooted in a much bigger story. We begin to see ourselves as a a part of this meta-narrative, not the one-act play that we are so prone to live in. Which motivates us to engage in this second part of cultural renewal. We have faith that motivates us to pursue faithfulness. To pursue faithfulness, which I want to define as finding one's right place in God's story. To pursue faithfulness is to find one's right place in God's story. Queen Esther was extraordinarily faithful, was she not? Let us not miss the fact that prior to this beauty pageant, Esther had nothing. And poverty in the ancient Near East was no joke. And yet through this bizarre stroke of luck, all of a sudden she's one of the wealthiest and most powerful women in the world. And yet her uncle has the audacity to encourage her to do something that will likely result in her losing all of it. He's encouraging her to lay it all down. And Queen Esther is is faced with a really difficult choice. She can either be faithful to God and likely suffer much. Or she can be unfaithful and continue to enjoy a life of immeasurable comfort and security. What I want you to see here is is that this choice is actually much bigger than between suffering and security. Esther is choosing between an integrated and disintegrated life. What do I mean? I mean, couldn't Esther have just chosen to honor God with most of her life? I mean, she could have attended temple worship every week. She could have been faithfully giving her tithes. She could have even started every morning in prayer. Maybe she started the year with a Torah reading plan. She's reading through the Torah every, every day this year. Then she could feel the freedom to keep God out of the rest of her life, right? Because God doesn't really need to have a say in how she does her job as queen, Right? Certainly, God could be left out of this really sticky decision that might end up being really costly. You see, that's the disintegrated life. And yet what our text reveals is that Esther refuses to live that way. She allows her faith in God to bleed over into all of her life. It's informing the way she works, the way she interacts with her husband, the way she views and interacts with her neighbors. She's refusing to live a compartmentalized life, and instead she allows her faith to fuel her faithfulness in all areas of her life. Instead of pursuing her her best life, she looks for how to live her life in a way that fits into God's story. I think this text demands that we examine our own hearts. And we have to ask the hard question, in what ways is our faith informing our lives? How is it informing the way you work, the way you play, the way you contribute to society? Or is your faith simply a hat that you wear on Sunday mornings and then stick in the closet Monday through Saturday? 
There's something really beautiful about the Jewish real estate agents wearing their kippahs all day, every day. Because in so doing, they are declaring to the world that their faith informs every aspect of their lives. When we talk about cultural renewal here, we're talking about integrating our faith into our vocation, recreation, creation. That's just a catchy way to say everything that we do. So I want to ask you, does your faith inform the way you work, the way you play, the way you shop, the way you parent, the way you spend, the way you give, the way you drive, Lord help us, the way you attend school, the way you engage your city, the way you educate your children? If Queen Esther didn't have faith, if she viewed herself as the center of her story, there's no question that she would have remained silent and not risk losing so much. And church, if you remain the center of your story, it will impact the way you work. Your goal will be to climb the ladder, to advance your career, to make more money. If you see yourself as the center of your story, it will affect the way you parent. Your parenting will be about your comfort rather than the good of your children. There's so many examples that I could give you, but I think you get the idea. If you have faith and you see your story as a part of God's grand story, it will impact every single aspect of your life. It will motivate you to serve and sacrifice, to labor and suffer with God's glory and the good of our city as your aim. Church, what it looks like for Christ Central to pursue cultural renewal is for us to be released out of this place to engage with faith-fueled faithfulness, aware that each and every one of us is a part of a much bigger story, God's relief and deliverance story for the whole world. The most famous line of the whole book comes at the end of Mordecai's speech, and I want to finish here. A line that speaks to, seeks to once and for all anchor Esther in her place in God's story. He says, and who knows, Esther, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. To have faith is to believe that history is God's story. It's his story. And to be faithful is to seek to play our part in God's story. Who knows? Maybe God has placed you in Durham for this very moment. And may your faith be fueled by that reality. A life of faithfulness, living into the calling that God has placed on your life for such a time as this. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to have faith that pulls us out of our own little world, our little inward focus that is so easy to dwell in and yet loses sight of the big picture of why we were created and what you're up to, God. Give us faith that is rooted in the deliverance that is offered to us in Christ Jesus and that is motivated to be faithful in this place that you have called us to for such a time as this. God, would our purpose and meaning and value be wrapped up in you and what you're about in this place. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.